All right, good morning. Well, I'm going to need a little more than that. Good morning. There we go. Awesome. Mark 13 is where we'll be. We continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. I looked back and we started uh, this in the summer of 17. And so we're making good progress, I feel like. Mark 13. We give us a little bit of context uh, before we get to it. So we started 13 last week. And uh, let's just read the first four verses to kind of give us an idea of what's going on here. Um, it is, uh, it's Holy Week in the life of Christ, and he's spent the last 24, 48 hours um, under a lot of criticism, having to defend a lot of things. They're, they're trying to trip him up, all the religious leaders and political leaders, looking just basically looking for a way to arrest him. And so uh, it's been an exhausting period of time. A lot of it has centered around the temple, uh, the subject of the temple. And so... Um, Look at verse 1. It says, as, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another. will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to be accomplished? Okay, so verse 4, they present a question. They want to know what's going to happen and when. And the rest of the chapter is Jesus answering those two questions. And he goes in the order of what and then when. And so last week we looked at what. And so here's kind of a a quick summary there. Um, So the temple was uh, this is the the most holy of of places uh, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept this is where the presence of God was made manifest uh, this is where heaven and earth o- overlapped one another and it was designed to be a place like designed from God's perspective to be a place like a physical geographical like GPS point where um, this building was there, and it was just pointing people to who to who God is. It's supposed to be a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of generosity and hospitality, uh, a place for the nations as they traveled through Jerusalem that they would know that building right there. That's that's what their God is all about. Let's go experience it. And as they experienced it, they would see the good, the generosity of God reflected in the people and the goodness of God reflected in the people and the love of God, uh, reflected in the people's love for him and for others. And it was supposed to be what, what N.T. Wright calls a signpost. It's supposed to point people to God. And yet, it had become a place of corruption, a place of greed and injustice and where power was, was fought over and it, had stopped pointing people to God and started pointing people to the human leaders. And so this building was not what it was supposed to be. It's not what God designed it to be. It had become something else. Um, and so Jesus has spent some time talking about this, uh, this building not being what it's supposed to be. And the disciples are just saying, oh, because it's pretty. And so he says, actually, uh, it's going to all fall to the ground. And um, so in the in the chapter, you know, they're like, "What's going to happen?" And he says, "Okay, well, first of all, don't get too obsessed with these big world events. 
You're going to hear about earthquakes. You're going to hear about famines. You're going to hear about war. Uh, don't read into those things. That's just normal, like the world is broken and you hurt each other kind of stuff. That's just what it is. So don't obsess over everything that happens. Um, and along the way, you're going to face persecution. Like they're, they're going to put you on trial. They're going to make you stand and give an account for things. It's going to cost some of you your lives. Uh, but you need to trust that God's going to take care of you. Um, that's just kind of how it's going to be for a little while. He says, but here's, here's one thing you really, you really need to do. So don't read into the world signs. Stand strong in persecution, but when, but when someone comes in to the temple, and when there's this terrible act of desecration, you'll know it when you see it, and when you see it, you run for the hills. Like, you get out of there. Because that temple is going to be destroyed, and the, the temple's going away, the priests are going away, the sacrificial system is going away. In other words, everything that, uh, that, Israel knows as their whole way of life, it's all going to stop. And no one's going to know what to do except for you. What you're going to know is that uh, you don't need a temple anymore because heaven and earth now overlap in Jesus. You don't need a sacrificial system anymore because by that point, Jesus would have died on the cross as the sacrifice for sin. You don't need priests anymore to, to intermediate your relationship with God because now you have direct access to God. So everything that the temple was doing to help people connect with God was no longer needed. And so God was going to let it be destroyed. And that would bring an end to the Jewish way of life as they knew it. But for the Christians, it would be this final, this final sign that Jesus really is who he says he is. And this, and this permanent leaving behind of the old covenant and into the new covenant. And so Jesus says the, the reason that you need to run is because you, you need to go hide in the hills, not because you're afraid, but because you need to preserve the gospel because the gospel has to get to all the people on the planet who don't know it yet. And you're going to take it to them. And so that's a, obviously a lot for them to, to take in. It's this, it's this beautiful thing um, that is happening, but and he compares it to childbirth. He says there's all this pain that comes with childbirth, but there's a whole new life on the other side of it. And that's what this is going to be like. So all in all, he's preparing them for a difficult time that's going to lead to this whole new world. Um, and by the way, we know that all of this stuff, this, all this stuff happened. We know that in 70, uh, Rome invaded Israel, destroyed the temple, like all this so this is like a historical thing. So Jesus is being prophetic in the sense that uh, he is like foretelling what's going to happen. It's this really cool moment. And and so that's what's going to happen. Their other question was when. We really need to know when. So look at verse 32. This is his answer to that. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So he God has like he has told him what's going to happen, but not when. And so Jesus just very matter-of-factly is like, well, I don't, I don't really know that. That's not been shared with me. And that seems like a strange answer, doesn't it? Like, Jesus is not only the Son of God, Jesus is God, right? Like, he, he should know this, but he doesn't. And he's very open with that and comfortable with that. And so only God knows when the temple will be destroyed. Now, there's another, like an, kind of an alternate way to interpret this paragraph as well. If you look at verse 32, 
When he says, but concerning that day, uh, in the Greek, that, that phrasing um, is used often when someone is changing to another subject. And that day is sometimes referred as like this um, sort of like um, shorthand, uh, for lack of a better term, to reference something that's known as the day of the Lord. See the day of the Lord all throughout the Bible. And it's what we tend to think of when we talk about the end of days, right? So all that, that whole thing about uh, Armageddon and the Antichrist and all the signs of the times and all the things that we love to make movies about and books about and Bible studies about and all that stuff. When we talk about, it's talking about the, the day of the Lord. And so some people say that Jesus is not talking about the destruction of the temple. He's talking about the return of Christ and the ending of life as we know it, and the beginning of life eternal. And so there's a couple of things that are kind of associated with the day of the Lord. The, the, the main part of it uh, that is the return of Christ. That we know that Christ, uh, after his resurrection, he ministered for another 40 or so days, and then he ascended to heaven, and the angels say that he's going to return the same way that he went. And so there's some sort of appearing of Jesus that's going to happen. We don't really know uh, a lot of detail about it. It seems super mysterious. But that's that's the day of the Lord is when Jesus returns. And it's what we talk and sing about all through Advent. And it's what we long for and wait for is that here is his return. And once he is back, uh, there is a... There's, a, there's a, a resurrection moment, and the body and soul is reconnected, and there's a, a judgment that happens where the, those who know Christ are welcomed into the eternal kingdom of God. Those, those who have rejected uh, Christ are sent into some sort of destruction. We don't really, you know, there's debate on that, but there's a separating out of everything. And then God judges and sets everything right side up, so everything that has been broken uh, by sin and death, all of disease and sickness and war and violence and racism and poverty and famine and uh, all, all, you name it, you name all the terrible things, God takes all those things and he sets them right side up again. And then he brings healing to the nations, and the new heaven, the new earth, that whatever the birth pains are prior to Jesus coming back, from that point forward, gives birth to this whole new world. That we, another shorthand phrase, would just call it heaven. Right? It's the unfiltered presence of God, all of us healed forever because of what Christ has done. And so it could be that Jesus is saying, uh, only the Father knows when that's going to happen. Or he could be saying, only the Father knows when the temple is going to be destroyed. Or he could be talking about both. You know, It's just one of those phrases, one of those things where one day you will get to ask him face to face and it'll be a fascinating discussion to have with old Jesus uh, to find out what he meant here. But the, the, the truth is, both of those things are true. That the Father knows when the temple will be destroyed. The Father knows when the return will be there. And the Father knows every moment in between. And so what's probably happening here is not what we want. What we want is what the disciples wanted. 
It's like we want to know, we want to, we want a bingo card that tells us every end time event that's going to happen so we can mark them all off so that we know and we're not caught off guard and we're not surprised and we're not, you know, like we want to look into everything. We want to overlap, overanalyze every war and everything that happens in the Middle East and every sort of leadership shift and, you know, all these kind of things that happen. We're always trying to read into it and, and Jesus is like, no, it's, it's not for you. Jesus even says it's not for him. That's not what, that's not the point. What seems to be happening here, and, uh, there are people way smarter than me that speak in this, these same terms, is that this is more where Jesus is preparing his disciples for a difficult life that comes in a broken world. That he's showing a, a pattern of sorts. That he's given instruction on how to handle crazy times more so than he is giving us a checklist of events for the end of days. Um, so, Jesus is a rabbi. And what rabbis, their goal with their disciples was to teach their disciples how to be just like them. Like it's a mentoring kind of thing. It's an apprenticeship uh, but the goal is for those disciples to live the same way that the rabbi did. And so what we're seeing here is a spiritual formation moment. We're seeing Jesus disciple the disciples about the craziness that life can bring. Um, and so let me, let me make a couple of points about that because it's really, really, really important. And one of them is that um, it's significant that Jesus doesn't know when these things are going to happen. And that seems like a strange Strange thing, as I said a few minutes ago, because he is God. Like, how can God not know something that doesn't make any sense? And it's one of the times in the Bible where we're reminded of this really beautiful thing about Jesus that's so, so important. Is that Jesus is 100% God, 100% human at the same time. Complete mystery, right? How, How can those things coexist? Only God can make that happen. And even though he's 100% God and 100% human, he has humbled himself during his earthly ministry and chosen not to access that divine nature, that omniscient nature of knowing everything that's going on. He's chosen not to access the omnipresence that is here. That's why Jesus is just one place at a time. Like there's no, there's no omnipresence. It's just, it's a single presence. Because he's not accessing those those divine qualities that are his. But he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. And so what this rabbi is teaching his disciples to do is the same thing that he has to do. He's living the same way that he wants them to live. This means that Jesus had to trust the Father in the best of times and the worst of times. Just like they had to do. Just like we have to do. Right? Jesus wasn't working with this different set of information. Jesus wasn't working like he didn't have an advantage over us when it comes to sin and temptation or it comes to discerning what to do in a moment. Um, Jesus was not, Jesus was like, no, I'm gonna, I wanna work with the same thing they're working with. I wanna, I wanna know what it's like to be tempted. I wanna know what it's like to be betrayed. I wanna know what it's like to have your, your family walk out on you. I wanna know what it's like to, to mentor this group of young men, and after three years, they still don't understand it. They're like, look how pretty the temple is. And you're like, I just spent 
so much time telling you what a lie it is. And you're like, yeah, but it's so pretty. And he's experienced all of that stuff. That's huge for us. That everything we see Jesus doing is him letting the Father be the Father to him. He's not asking you and I to do something that he's not already done. This is how Peter expresses it. In 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, he says it this way. He says, for, to, you, for the, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I love that phrase. He just continually entrusted himself to the Father. He's just explained all of these, these, these events that are going to happen. And that means that the Spirit, like, like, showed him those things. That we see Jesus as a priest, and sometimes we see Jesus as a prophet. And so this is one of the prophetic moments where he's telling him, uh, there's going to be a desecration of the temple and this is what you need to do. That's the Spirit showing him all that stuff. That's not his divine nature, that's his human nature, dependent on the Spirit. And then when it comes to when, he's like, I don't know when, but guess what? It's okay that I don't know when, because the Father knows when. As long as the Father knows when, I- I'm good. I've learned to live this way. I've learned to entrust myself to the Father. And you you guys got to do it too. You got to learn. It's probably why the father doesn't tell us everything, right? Parents, you don't tell your kids everything about everything, do you? No, because they can't handle it. Like their, their minds, I mean, no disrespect to any of you young, young ones in the room, but you can't handle all the stuff. Adults can't even handle it most of the time, right? But you don't tell them all. And a part of that is you, you need them to trust that you're, you're looking out for their best interest. Like you, you're going to figure it out. They don't need to worry about a lot of things, do they? There's a few things they need to focus on and just be kids. You'll be the parent and you'll take that responsibility. It's very similar to what Jesus is telling them. The Father hasn't told us this stuff because you know what? That's not what we need to be focused on. Let him focus on it. In Deuteronomy 29, it's one of my favorite verses. quote it very often. This is verse Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord. There are things that are just His. And that's just the way that it is, and that's the way that it needs to be. And it is for our good that He doesn't tell us everything. Right? It creates that trust. It creates, it creates those blind spots where you're saying, I can either trust myself or trust the Lord, and I'm like pretty much a disaster, and so uh, he's never a disaster, and so I'm going to go with him in this. The secret things belong to him. They're, they're hidden from us on purpose. But look at the second part of the verse. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. How long? Forever. <laughs> That we may walk, um, that we may do all the words of this law. That God's kept some stuff for Himself, but there's some stuff He's told us, and and that's what we that's what we invest in, that's what we sink our lives into. 
And don't get distracted by the world events and trying to read into everything and predict when the second coming is going to happen and all this. No, 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 no. That's, that's for God to take care of. You need to look at what he has revealed to you as being yours. And then you need to get to it. And then he gives us, as he often does, he gives us some imagery through a parable for us to grab onto. Let's look at it. 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, remember that, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now guess who's included in that last verse? You, me. What I say to these disciples on the hillside of the Mount of Olives, I say to all, that reaches down through time and hits us in this moment. And he looks us in the eye and he says, stay awake. So five times in that paragraph, in that little, little story, he references being awake or being asleep. In the context of servants being handed work to do while the master has gone away. And so let's connect those dots, right? Jesus is the master who has gone away and he's handed to us work to do. Kingdom work, being an ambassador for the kingdom of God in various contexts. He has handed that to us. He has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who's called us to that glory and excellence. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us community. He said, I've given you all the tools, Okay. Remember when James Bond, would, before they send him on a mission, they go and he get all these like cool gadgets. Okay, God's given us all the gadgets, right? He's given us everything that we need, set us up for uh, everything that we need in order to accomplish it. And he has gone away to prepare a place for us. He's like, while I'm gone, you do the work. You're in the family now. You're sons and daughters, and there's family business that we are about. And he connects that to being a worker who is awake and working or being asleep on the job. You can be one or the other. He says, but what I'm telling you is you better stay awake. That idea of staying awake is really, really important. Our, our humanity wants to know, we want to know everything that's going to happen, right? It's what they're asking, it's what we're asking. And whether we're talking about this, the second coming and all the events of the day of the Lord, or I want to know what's going to happen on Tuesday, you know? Like, I don't want to be surprised I don't want to be caught off guard by anything. Uh, we don't like all that stuff. We love control. And when things happen and we weren't expecting it, it reminds us that we are not in control of things and that frustrates us. And all, these, all, there's all this angst that's there. Jesus is saying, uh, you, need, you need to accept this beautiful scenario that God has given you. Where he's taking care of things and he's given you some things to take care of. And you need to stay awake, put your hand to the plow, and do the things that are there. So right now, we're, we just did a week, the first week of 30 days of prayer, Now we're going into week two. Um, if you don't have a push card, uh, you can um, pick one of those up. You can follow us on social media as we get into it. But we've, we've just taken one, one thing a day 
to pray over. You pray however you want to pray it. Doesn't really matter. We've given some ideas, but you're creative, smart people. Find your own ideas. Doesn't really matter. But we're praying over over things that fall into this into this parable super well, right? The master has given us work and entrusted certain things to us. We start really wide. He's entrusted us with a city full of people, and not just not just us, but there there are thousands of sons and daughters in our city, right? He's looked at us as a collective group and said, "This is you, this is your city." This is your city to bring uh, light into darkness, to be salt, to be, pick your metaphor, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you, you guys are there to make sure that people know how loved they are by God. So we start there. That's the work entrusted to us. And he's like, don't, be, don't fall asleep on your city. And then we narrow it down a little bit. We look at this, this, this surrounding community here in Sherwood that, that we as a church family, God has strategically called us to gather here. And this is our community here. Even if you don't live nearby here, you worship here. Our influence is here. Um, when they were working on the bridge out here, um, remember that time we had to like drive all over the place in order to get here? Uh, there was a, a study that was done that says 11,000 cars a day pass over that bridge. That's 11,000 cars a day that are looking at this place at some point because they're sitting in traffic. And I know this because those are the people who don't let me out of the driveway uh, most days. I'm like, come on, please. It's a whole thing. Uh, but there are, it, is, it is just constantly moving. And God has put us here. You can see this steeple from Shopper's Value coming down Flannery, coming down Goodwood. Blind Spot is coming here from Old Hammond. But you can see it from everywhere. God has put us here. It's ours to steward. So we pray for the businesses and the people that live here. We narrow it down one more from there. There's Twin Oaks Elementary right there, our strategic partner. God has connected us there. There are these, we start with this big, all the Christians in the city thing. And then it gets narrowed down to our church family. What are we collectively working on? And then it gets into your territory. The next day we start to pray about your workplace. Or your like Monday through Friday relationships. Who are you seeing consistently during those times? God has, God has given you to those people as a gift. You may not see yourself as a gift, but God sees you as a gift. He says, I'm going to put you in this work environment. I'm going to put you in this school. I'm going to put you in this uh, stay-at-home parent situation. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to put you in this uh, to see these people on a regular basis, but he's driving us out there Monday through Friday into these relationships on purpose with strategy. He said, don't fall asleep on those people. Narrow it down a little bit more. Who, who lives around you? Who are your neighbors? You think you bought your house or your apartment or, where, or your, wherever, you, wherever you're living. You think you're there because of this and this and this. But you're there because God wanted you there. That's the real reason. God has put you all over the place. And those people that live around you, he's drawing circles around them. Saying, guess who's a, guess who's a gift to all those people? You are. I am. Narrow down some more. Who, who lives within the walls of your house? How, how, how are, are the walls of your apartment or wherever it is that you live, how is that place going to use strategically for mission? God has put you in a dwelling of some sort, and whether it's with other people or whether it's to be used uh, strategically or whatever it is, that's not a random thing about your life. And then we go down 
go down one more into your own heart. It all begins because we love the Lord, right? And we love what God loves. And so what we're doing as we pray each week is we're starting really big and we narrow it down. It gets all the way down to us and then we just start over go big again. Um, Praying through those cycles, I think, ties into what God is saying here. In a sense, we're going to take 30 days of prayer and make sure we're not asleep in any of these contexts that he has strategically and intentionally put us into. And we have to ask God, God, if, if I'm asleep, would you wake me up? Maybe that's even the timing of this. I didn't know this was about this until I started studying it. It was like, wow, that really stinks up well. How, what a great coincidence, God. But the thing is, life can kind of lull us to sleep sometimes, can't it? It can lull us to sleep in regard to our kingdom work. Because sometimes the city can just be the city, right? And the going to church can just be going to church. And um, where you live can just be where you live. And where you work can just be where you work. And even down to like the people you live with can just be the people that you live with. It's easy to fall asleep. And Jesus is saying, look... You, the people who are asleep, they're asleep because, because they don't respect the master or the work that they're called to. And the thing is, none of us are, that, that's not who we are. None of us would sit here and say, I don't respect God or the work that he's called us to. It's just this kind of byproduct of a super distracted world that we live in. And maybe lives that are too busy and too this and this and this. And so perhaps God has just given us a really simple picture rather than give us something really complicated. I mean, he's, maybe he's just saying, hey, are you asleep or are you awake? Maybe on Monday we pray for the city. He's like, are you asleep or awake in regard to the city? And Tuesday, as we start to narrow it down, are you asleep or are you awake in regard to this? And we're asking God to help us see what's lulling me to sleep. I mean, we're going to talk about this in community groups this week. Like, what, what is it that, has, that can distract me where I end up being one of those people that's asleep on the job. And see, whether Jesus comes back in a couple of days or a couple of years or a couple of generations, um, we don't really know. He hasn't told us. And the scriptures really indicate there is no like heads up that we're going to get. He's like, that's not really for you. You just, you work like it's today, you know? You work like it's today. Here's my, my last point. Is that Jesus models this for us perfectly. Like yes, yes, he entrusts, he entrusted himself to the Father and talked about that, but think about it in this, think about it in regard to being asleep or being awake. Like Jesus was awake in, in the sense of being focused on what he was here to do. Everything we know about him indicates that he didn't get caught up in things and lulled to sleep. That he stayed on mission. Right? He was, he was awake when, when tempted in the desert by the enemy. He was awake when his own family rejected him. He was awake when he's getting cultural pressure from the religious leaders and the political leaders. He's fully awake uh, in the face of grief. He's fully awake in these different ministry opportunities he had. And as he traveled around, he's fully awake He's with the disciples. He's fully awake and for the Last Supper. Fully awake when he was betrayed by one of his own. Fully awake when he was arrested. All throughout the trial. 
never, never losing his focus, never being lulled to sleep, all the way fully awake until he breathes his last and he was dead. I mean, that's, that's some focus, right? Like that's, I trust the father to take care of the big details. I'm going to just do what he's given me to do. That's staying awake. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't done already. He knows how to do it. He'll show us how to do it and walk us through every bit of it. So whatever it is that you face, whatever it is on your own personal list, whether it's those seven contexts that we're praying through for 30 days or whether there are other other things that come to mind that you would pile in there, um, Jesus has a message for us. It's the same thing he told his disciples there. He said, just stay awake. Stay awake. And it's for you and I to steward now at this point. So to think about the different environments where he's given us kingdom work to do. And, and it's, it's he, the parable, he says that each, each of the workers had his work to do. Like what's your work to do? What's our family work to do? And we ask God to show us, are we awake? Are we getting drowsy? How do we get awake, stay awake? We have, we have to look at the only one who's done it perfectly and ask him to help us. And so however you want to steward this message, this, this idea, um, hear Jesus speaking to the deep parts of you and just encouraging you to stay alert and to stay awake. It's a very simple picture, a very simple message. Um, so you apply it to your life, and I'll apply it to my life. We'll talk about it in our community groups this week, which if you're not in a group, perfect time to jump in. But in the next couple of mo- minutes, we're going we're gonna to sing a little bit, and we're just going to just not rush out of here just yet, right? And so I would encourage you to sing or to pray or just to take this processing time to think about Jesus as the model for this and what he's called you to. All right, let's stand together. And join me as I pray. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful. Um, these passages of scripture that that seem to be so daunting at times. And, and yet there is a simplicity to it. And I know I can identify with the disciples who, who just wanted to know everything. You know, They didn't want to be caught off guard. They didn't want to be surprised. But um, I'm thankful that you slowed them down, that you slow us down too. Just help us to realize that you, you've, you've got things covered um, and that you really just want us to stay focused on the work at hand, which we cannot do apart from you. On our own, we, we get distracted, we get lulled to sleep, we get drowsy, whatever, however you want to think of it. And so we need you to wake us up or to keep us alert. And just acknowledge, Jesus, you're the only one who knows how to do it. You did it perfectly from the beginning all the way to the end. And and now you have ascended and you're with the Father interceding for us. And so your ministry to us now is about empowerment and 
speaking to us through the Holy Spirit to guide us along. So may we be humble, teachable um, recipients of whatever it is you want to use in these songs and in this passage to shape us. May we be like those uh, disciples sitting there ready to just learn from their rabbi in order to become more and more like him so that we too can be as effective as you were.